from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 267. Upgrade is brought to you this week by ExpressVPN, Linode, and TimePage. I am Jason Snell. Mike Hurley is on assignment. And by that, I mean we've assigned him to take a nice, lovely vacation somewhere in Europe where he's having a good time without us. But I have replaced him with a fellow European, a fellow Brit, in fact. It is developer of... Pcalc <laughs> and drag thing. Mm, we'll get to that. <laughs> and Dice by Pcalc and a frequent guest host on the Rebound podcast and a an soon to be uh, player on Total Party Kill along with Mike Hurley and others. So much hype for James Thompson. Hello. Hello. We all sound vaguely alike to you lot. So yeah, I'm just a right. sort of drop in replacement. Can we get another, another UK person? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, thank you for being here. You're from a, a further north part of the UK, though. Yeah, so. currently. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Who knows how those borders are all going to work up out in the end, but I don't know. We, we may not be alive to see it. Who, who could tell? Anything could happen. Yes. It's the 21st no, we'll, century. We'll start the positivity early on the podcast. Yeah, oh boy, it's going to be great. Well, okay, we actually, no one wants to hear about that, uh, borders and things, because we're going to go to the Snell Talk question, which you can also join in in answering. This question came from Andrew, who said, I chose a question, by the way, because Mike revealed a few weeks ago that he, he does not choose these at random. He picks them out specifically for each episode. And I chose one because you and I have been doing this for a long time. I chose one that is for uh, about the past. What long lost feature from the Mac or even the Apple II would you bring to today if you could? That's what Andrew asks. And um, my initial thought was, I, I, I honestly, my initial thought was most of the stuff is better now <laughs> like, right that's yeah. the first thing is it's i was like what about like like multi-finder <laughs> it's like no it's all better now but i came up with one which is the appearance manager and and also kind of related kaleidoscope these were uh tools that let you do you had different themes in mac os before there was the dark mode and the light mode many many years before there were themes uh, and there was a whole theme system that basically got boiled down to platinum, the one theme, yeah. a theme system with one theme. Uh, but in the kaleidoscope utility, uh, let a lot of people uh, make their Macs look terrible, basically. But it was fun. It was a fun time, and people could build their own themes for the entire Mac OS. And uh, this was in the sort of Mac OS 8.5 era. And right up until the last minute, there were a bunch of other themes. There was like high tech yeah. and gizmo. And there was a nice sort of like hand drawn one from Japan yeah. as well. And they all went away. And high tech lives on only in the um, cinematic classic Batman and Robin on Alfred's 20th anniversary Macintosh. Yeah, we actually published in Mac user, we published screenshots of all those themes, right? Like we were, we were like, oh, look at all these themes. And then 8.5 shipped and it was like mm -mm, platinum. You get platinum, which is, I mean, more or less is what we think of as the Mac interface. Like it was, uh, it, it influenced the early days of OS 10. It was sort of the brushed metal of its time. Um, and I want to point out also in Batman and Robin, one of the greatest things in Batman and Robin, and there are many great, terrible things in that terrible, terrible movie is Batman's keyboard. Um, I, I did a, uh, every, every few months, somebody discovers a tweet I made. I must be, have great search engine optimization for this one tweet, which is if you do Google the right search terms involving Batman's keyboard, 
you get my tweet with a screenshot of the keyboard Batman uses. It is the a layout unlike any. I'll put a link in the show notes. A layout unlike any you've ever seen before. It is the. It is not a, a, a QWERTY. It is not a Dvorak. It is the Ukarni keyboard. Um, the top letters are U W C A R N Y. Uh, I don't know what what are you doing, Batman? <laughs> What's that keyboard like? <laughs> But those were those were the days. Those were the days. Uh, the high tech appearance and the Ukarni keyboard. Um, James, what's your what's your favorite uh, long lost feature that you you'd like to have? Well, today? I, I had similar thoughts to you. I was sort of running through things in my head that I remember, and most of that stuff is is better or there's no need for it anymore. And this is kind of true of this as well. But I do kind of still miss the hierarchical Apple menu. Um, there used to be an Apple menu items folder in the system folder and you could put aliases and files and folders and stuff in it and it would appear as a hierarchical list uh, in the Apple menu. And I'm not sure it would be particularly useful today, but my uh, Mac OS X doc, spoilers for a future segment, uh, had a doc items folder, the same level as the desktop folder and it was based on the same concept that you could put things in and if you dragged something into the doc, you'd end up with an alias sitting in this folder yeah and i mean you can you can make a folder in the dock and put things in it so you can sort of do this now but it is for people who don't remember this or weren't around then uh, it was pretty cool that you could you could your you had one customizable menu on the system and was the apple menu and anything you put in there showed up in that menu everywhere um, no matter what app you were in or anything it was great some people put an alias of their hard drive in it. That was terrible. That's very bad. <laughs> yeah. W- w- once you go down like five levels deep, those hierarchical menus get quite tricky. Yeah. And if you move your mouse a little bit too far off, then they all go away and then you've got to start again. It's like a really bad video game. <laughs> all right. I've got a little bit of follow up. Uh, one uh, that Mike and I talk about a lot is the bridge keyboard. Do you have the bridge keyboard? I do. Um, I have uh, my uh ipad is the 10.5 ipad pro and i've got the bridge keyboard for that and i really like it as a kind of turns it into a little laptop which is great for traveling and stuff where i don't want to be carrying around a huge uh huge 13 inch laptop so uh mike and i both have them and and uh and they're nice and it's my favorite really uh external ipad keyboard they're in the news this week because there's there's a story we'll link to from The Verge. Um, they they filed a lawsuit against this company called Libra that announced a keyboard that looks just like their keyboard, except it has a trackpad. And um, what's sort of fascinating about this, so apparently they have some sort of patent about the sort of like the clips uh, that connect it to the iPad. And they're really just trying to say that this is a, a, a duplicate. Somebody duplicated their product and is now selling it. Um, and there's some fascinating angles, like they can't really tell who the company is behind it. And they sued a company that says they aren't behind it and that they aren't involved anymore and that they've removed it from their website. So it's kind of unclear what's going on there. Um, you know, patent lawsuits and knockoff products are not that interesting to me, honestly. I think uh, what I found more interesting is that uh, as a part of this, because the, the Libra keyboard has a, has a, uh, trackpad. Uh, Bridge uh, said that they actually have been working on a Bridge keyboard for iOS with a trackpad and they plan to sell it as a, I think they said as a beta product um, and will ship it early next year. Um, and that's interesting because there had been a lot of speculation about whether they do that. They have a Surface 
uh, version of the bridge keyboard that has a trackpad because Surface will support native pointing devices. iOS 13, of course, adds mouse support using assistive touch, so it's an accessibility feature. And I, I'm, you know, without getting into a lot of detail, I will say I have spent a lot of time using a lot of different input devices on iPad OS 13. And uh, when you talk about it in a trackpad context on a on a right below a keyboard. I think it's very hard if you're using it in that context to get away from the judging it like a MacBook. And let me tell you, if you haven't used the keyboard or the uh, cursor mode on iOS 13, iPad OS 13, uh, it's not, it's something, (laughs) it's usable. It's not great. Like there are lots of things about it that are not great. And that's not the fault of any mouse maker or trackpad maker or keyboard and trackpad maker it's that apple this is what apple has decided at least for now to implement and it's got lots of issues so i'm not sure that even regardless of whether it's a bridge product or it's this other knockoff product or or anything that anybody would do i'm not sure that anyone who's excited about using an ipad with a trackpad in ipad os 13 is going to be satisfied by the experience it might be okay it might be usable but it's not going to be good and that's because the implementation in ipad os i feel like is is not good and certainly not up to the standards of what we expect for something like a like a macbook where i think we take for granted just how great the macbook trackpad is in terms of precision in terms of doing gestures all sorts of stuff that apple has really fine-tuned that ipad os 13 can't do yeah, I thought it was interesting that they were referring to this as a beta product. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it's a physical hardware thing that they are selling. Yeah. And uh, I think to call it a beta is, is somewhat, it's like a, you know, it's not like you're going to get upgraded to the yeah. full version. So my feeling is that what Bridge really wants to do is warn people that this is not the, like, regular product that everybody should buy. It's a weird thing that uses accessibility features that are not sort of not intended for this and that your experience is not going to be great calling it a beta um and by the way cheers to you for saying beta because we've beaten that out of mike (laughs) he doesn't do it anymore (laughs) uh but you're sticking with it and that's great uh but uh, yeah. but they, I think they're just ultimately, I think what they're doing is sort of like trying to scare people away and say, look, this experience isn't going to be great. So if you buy this, just know what you're getting yourself into, because the, I think that I think that that's the challenge here is that even if it's the best engineered iPad keyboard and trackpad in the world that is possible to be made, still not going to be great because of the way it's implemented in the OS. Yeah, I mean, I, I also, you know, I have somewhat complicated feelings about patents, particularly software patents, but um with this it's not really about the trackpad at all they're really just uh you know it's this is this product has a trackpad and so this has caused the reveal of their own uh trackpad based product but they really seem to be going after them just for the the sort of hinge mount points yeah yeah we'll see i think that i think that they feel that uh it's a knockoff and that bugs them and since they do have this one patent they have something that they can try to take action about but i I agree with you i don't i don't love that at the same time i also don't love the idea that they went to the trouble of designing this system and then somebody said oh that's a great idea and then just copied it that is sort of what the what the patent side is supposed to do but anyway i think it's a fascinating thing and and uh will if this product comes out will 
take a look at it. But um, I think everybody who's spent time with the mouse mode in an iPad OS 13 would probably say that it's a work in progress for sure. And hopefully there's progress at some point down the road because it's great that it's there it's it is an accessibility feature it's not meant to be a full-fledged consumer feature for like general purpose mousing uh and it's great that you can do something with it and that's useful but um the question is where does apple think it's going to go and is apple going to embrace using a mouse on ios or do they feel that this is exactly what they wanted to do and no more and we just don't know so we'll see um, I want to move on and do something that's technically upstream, uh, and and although it is way more than upstream at the same time, and this is uh, touching the third rail a little bit, but I feel like you gotta you gotta talk about it. So well, hi James, yeah, thanks, come thanks. on the show. You know, no difficult topics no, here, nothing uh, difficult at all. So a bunch of stuff happened this week. There's a story about how um, uh, I'm going to back into this with the upstream story, which is about how Apple. Uh, told the producers of its Apple TV Plus shows, uh, among other things, to be careful to not offend China in creating the content that they were creating for Apple TV Plus. Um, and and this, this, in context of a bunch of other stuff, including Apple taking an app down in Hong Kong that was being used by people in Hong Kong to avoid where you know the unrest is where there's uh where there's tear gas where there's other things like that um and they took it down and then they put it back and then they took it down again and Tim Cook released a statement saying well we took it down because this was being used by bad people to commit crimes and things which seems to most observers to not be true and that that was just sort of a flimsy excuse by the government to get this thing that was being used out of the uh, out of the store and um and this is the same week as uh, a general manager in the nba uh, posted a, a note positively uh discussing the protests in hong kong which led to chinese tv dropping all the nba games and all sorts of other things there um the uh in in video gaming there was the guy who who uh or was he a, he was a player he was a player and he made a, a pro hong kong uh, de- democracy statement at the end of the match and he got uh basically suspended for a year his prize money taken away and the two commentators who ducked under the desk when he said it who had nothing to do with it were also suspended and blizzard faced extremely strong um protests against that and uh they have a a statement on, right. i think it's like a fountain or something just outside their their campus about you know everybody's voices being important and people had covered that up and yes it so was they, a, it was a whole thing and so they and there was a lot of walking back of things as well so the nba um the nba commissioner uh, said that their their employees have the right to free speech and they can say what they want um in the case of blizzard they posted a statement where they basically said okay you know he he did this after the fact and we're going to suspend him but not for as long and we're not going to take his prize money away because this doesn't have anything to to do with him as a player and we you know they they so they walked that back a little bit too but that reflexive action um was certainly striking in a week where all of these other things were happening and um so a couple of things here, because this is really about Apple and China. And I want to start with the TV Plus stuff just because it's related to Upstream, which is how I'm 
classifying this. Mike <laughs> can get back to me later about it. And that is, there was a really nice Twitter thread by Matthew Panzerino from TechCrunch, um, where he said, uh, what I was thinking, which is, this is literally the Hollywood playbook. Every studio does the same. This is Panzer. Uh, movies are edited to appeal and not offend China. The culture clash is one of optics and interests. It's always been a bad practice, but the public perception is that tech is above it all and neutral, driven by marketing, positioning, and a culture of secular techno-paganism. And that's cracking. We know that industry is craven. We know that entertainment is fickle. Tech was supposed to be different, and the realization that it is not brings us to the current theological crisis. I think that's well said. Uh, Uh, If you know anything about the entertainment industry, you know that this is not Apple being this unique company that's trying to position its entertainment to be sellable in China. Everybody does this. Uh, Marvel movies are a good example where they took a character who is from Tibet and made that character from somewhere else that was not a disputed, uh, unrestful place within China. Uh, And it goes, the list goes on pretty much endlessly because the Chinese market is so big and entertainment companies are reluctant to basically close the door on that. Um, the larger issue for for Apple is not just that they're an entertainment company who's worried about the Chinese market, but that I would argue a core part of Tim Cook's strategy, even before he became the CEO of Apple when he was just the supply chain guy, is using Chinese labor and Chinese industry to create an incredibly efficient and effective supply chain. And it has allowed Apple to sell the huge volumes of products that it sells. People don't remember, it used to be Apple couldn't there was a period where Apple made too many things <laughs> and hmm. and their and their inventory was way uh, too large. And then there was a period where Apple struggled to make enough things. And Tim Cook, one of the things that Tim Cook is great at and why he's the CEO of Apple now is because he was able to get that supply chain working super efficiently because the most efficient supply chain is one that makes products as cheaply as possible that are of as high quality as possible. And every one that pops off the line is at a pace for every sale that goes on. Like there's literally no boxes in a storeroom somewhere. It's it's essentially we're making them and selling them and it's 100% efficient. And Apple's supply chain isn't 100% efficient, but it's very efficient. In addition, Tim Cook has spent a lot of time as CEO talking about how bullish he is on the Chinese market as a market for Apple's products and the fact that it is a tantalizing market. Uh, I think the last estimate I saw said that the middle class in China is rapidly, like in the next few years, headed to be the size of the entire U.S. population population. And those are Apple's potential customers. So this has been a huge part of Tim Cook's strategy for Apple. And the truth is that five years ago, I would say it looked like a pretty good strategy because there wasn't as much unrest in China or related to China. And there wasn't uh, a trade war between the US and China. And it looked like this whole kind of dependency, international dependency was something that would benefit Apple because it could work across all of these different uh, borders in order to build its products. Um, Apple, as a result, is perhaps the most um, dependent tech company on China. And that leads us to today where Apple is... uh, uh, Peter Kafka wrote a piece uh, that where he said... um, This is on Vox. He said... uh, 
unlike tech companies that haven't broken into the country or only do minor business in it, Apple is so deep in China that leaving it could be catastrophic. Even if the company was willing to forego the $44 billion a year in sales it makes in China, it can't leave the deep network of suppliers and assemblers that build hundreds of millions of iPhones every year. And there was a story that we referenced here a while ago in the New York Times about Tim Cook being kind of tech's top diplomat where he's balancing China and uh, and the Trump administration and trying to be a go-between. But he has to do it, really, because his business is predicated on the idea that China and the U.S. get along and that he can do business in China while also doing business everywhere else. And I just think it's fascinating because five years ago, I think everybody would have said this is a really canny strategy on Apple's part and Tim Cook's part. And now I think Peter Kafka is right, which is if if, if Apple can't, make things in china regardless of selling things in china they're it's a catastrophe for them because that's where they make most of their stuff and it it strikes me that if apple isn't aggressively trying to find alternate means of building products that are not in china um they're making a colossal mistake because the amount of leverage this gives china over apple is enormous and you know apple can't just put its foot down and say no china we're not going to do what you say because apple is in deep in china right now and i think one of the things with this is you know even if apple moved its uh say its manufacturing to india or some other large superpower they're also you know they're going to face similar problems when they come up against uh you know an local uh laws and things that they may not actually agree with uh and you know there's been a general sort of sentiment this week of like well apple's just as bad as everybody else and i don't think that's true but you know because apple has put such an emphasis on you know privacy and things and and being the sort of the in quotes woke tech company um this reflects especially badly on them, even though, yep. you know, I think they're trying to walk this middle ground very carefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a position that they put themselves in. You know, you, walking this, I mean, this is what this is that Tim Cook as the diplomat is all about, is they have been trying to walk this line carefully. I think what the last week has shown me is walking that line is great until the point where you can't walk it anymore. Because then, then what do you do? And uh, Apple, it looks like the way their business is structured, they can't get off that line and say, see you later, China, because they can't. I mean, they can't. They're not structured to do that. And we, leaving aside the fact that they've already structured the way that they do things so that Apple's products in China use completely different services and their servers are in places where the government can look at them. Like there's all of these things that they've already done in order to do business in China. Um, it's just, it's, it's a very difficult situation. I, um, I am disappointed in the, in the memo that Tim Cook sent out to Apple employees because he was taking the, um, the, ideas of why that app needed to be banned at face value when I think most observers on the scene who are uh, objective about this would say that that was really a pretense in order to get that app out of the app store and, and out of people's hands as much as possible. And I think that's unfortunate. 
But this is something that any company that has to has to do business in China has to reckon with, which is it is an authoritarian state and their standards in terms of speech, especially about China and about politics relating to China um, are not our standards in the West in that we feel people should have free speech and they think you shouldn't say anything about what China does if you aren't in China. And if you're in China, you should also not say anything about it. That's essentially their take on it. So it's a difficult situation for any Western company to be in. And boy, you could not have picked a better week. I mean, everything went out on the table now. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how Apple navigates this. I think that Apple will continue to be very careful about it because like you said, they have, they have a lot to lose and they are trying to thread the needle here. They're trying to walk a very fine path and make every effort to stay on that line and walk that line. Um, in the background yeah. though, they, they've got to, right. I mean, they've got, they've got to realize that they, they, this is, this is a, a weakness. This is a dependency. It's, it's one of those, uh, you know, we when back when I was working at a, at a big company, we had the, you know, the SWOT analysis, the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And it's like, this is a threat. This is the, what happens if, we can't do business in China. What happens if our supply chain in China is interrupted? It's like, well, you can't, you can't put all your eggs in that basket. You just can't because we've seen now that this world that we live in today, more complicated maybe than you thought it was five years ago. Things that you thought maybe would never happen five years ago are kind of happening now. So what do you do? And uh, it's just, you know, I think this is, this is going to be a big challenge for, for Apple in the next who knows how long in the next many years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was fun. We're going to talk about Catalyst soon. Uh, but first, let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you in part by TimePage. TimePage pairs innovative design with powerful features to create a wonderful calendar app for iOS and iPadOS. It uses bold color, playful animation, and engaging gestures to create a calendar experience that people love making part of their day. Using TimePage is fast, fluid, and intuitive. Every detail is lovingly crafted by the Apple Design Award-winning team at Moleskin Design Studio. TimePage channels the history and style behind the famed Moleskin notebooks and brings it to your favorite devices. Setting up TimePage is a breeze. You add your calendars, you get started in seconds. Every detail of your events is beautifully displayed, including people, locations, reminders, notes, and more. There's weather data, there's travel information. You're always informed before you leave. TimePage offers many different ways to view what events you have coming up. You can transition with a swipe from a traditional calendar layout to the unique timeline view that shows your busy and free days. And with natural language inputs, widgets, an Apple Watch app, and watch face complications, it makes adding an event to your calendar easier than ever. TimePage is exceptionally customizable and boldly colorful. The 20 curated themes from Moleskin mean you can choose an aesthetic that's perfectly you with deep preferences allowing you to configure almost everything to suit your needs. Moleskin Digital Studio cares about your privacy. Your events and schedules stay private and cannot be accessed by third parties. To find out more about TimePage, go to TimePage.com. Dot app and you can download it for free for a 14-day trial. Thank you to TimePage for supporting Upgrade. All right, James, let's talk about you. I, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> so one of the reasons that when we were finishing the show last week, I thought about having you sit in for Mike is there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the Apple developer world, and you're in the middle of 
all of it. And so we have a lot of different things. You, you touch on the news in a bunch of different ways. Now you're everywhere. Um, but I wanted <laughs> to start with, uh, with Catalyst. So you had an app called Dice by PCalc in which has been an iOS app for a little while, not too long, uh, in the Mac App Store on day one. It was in the little featured, check out these apps that came from iOS, little featured area in the App Store. Uh, so you were one of the early adopters of a Catalyst in the Mac App Store, taking your iOS app and turning it into a Mac app on Catalina. And uh, before I ask you about it, I wanted to at least mention we have a whole background here like <laughs> you and i have been playing dungeons and dragons um this spring and summer with an interesting group of people including mike and mike's wife adina and tiff arment uh and uh, other people you may not know if you're just listening to tech podcasts but liz miles and tony sindelar is the dm and that's a new season of total party kill on the incomparable that starts november 5th i'm pl- gonna plug it now if you want to listen to mike and a bunch of other people on tiff and adina me and liz play D. Uh, and James too, um, and, and and Mike Mike uh, wanted to d- play this with a bunch of people <clears throat> who he knew, and uh, we wanted people in the same time zone, so it's mostly people in the UK. Um, and James, you hadn't played D anD D since you were a kid, and we pretty much um, made you a dice addict, right? Yeah, it was like I last played D anD D in the eighties, and uh, it was actually the Conservative Party and Margaret Thatcher that stopped me playing D anD D because of teacher strikes caused the um, after school uh, sessions to be shut down. Oh, so that was my main D anD D playing thing but yeah i realized that the last time that i had played D before this campaign was before mike and adina were actually born and this <laughs> oh. made me crumble to the same dust that i found in my parents attic as i went to look for my old dice uh yeah. but yeah this kind of got me into uh oh these dice are quite pretty i will buy these and to the point where I had a sort of dragon-sized hoard of dice that I sleep on at night. <laughs> now, if those dice are pokey, that's got to be uncomfortable for you to sleep on yeah, all those well, dice. Yeah, well, you got to do what you do. Yeah, that's right. And Dragons aren't comfortable. They don't sleep comfortably on their hoard of gold, they, but they, they're happy because they've got the gold there. And you said something after our, I think it was oh. our first or second session. Yep. Uh, yep, blame said, me. Sure, go ahead. It's I, my fault. I can't believe you haven't written some kind of, you know, dice app and i had the 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 peacock about screen if people don't know it it was a sort of area in peacock that i concentrated all my whimsy into and it had regular uh you know d6 dice in it but it didn't have uh polyhedral dice and i thought "Mm, let's prototype something in the about screen so i got some uh polyhedral dice models and put them in try rolling them this kind of works okay so i gave myself a project and it was i gave myself one week to write an app mm-hmm. and this is like not a very realistic schedule but i thought well i know all the technology of doing the 3d stuff so let's see if i can build a dice rolling app in a week and it, it in fact took me two weeks but two weeks from creating a new project in xcode to actually shipping it on the store is a kind of a record for for me in, in getting a product out um, and I have spent quite a bit more time on it since, but it, it's kind of been my uh, evenings and weekends relaxation mental health project that the about screen was a few years ago. Um, but yeah, the, 
it was also a small enough project that I thought, well, let's try this and see where it would go as a catalyst app. All right. So you've got the iOS app. It's shipping. It's my fault. Um, it's got lots of different dice. You can choose different dice themes so you can have all those different pretty dice without having to buy more and more sets of dice. You just change the preference in iOS. I, I still bought more dice. That's the problem. <laughs> so uh, so then you did this. And I, I've got questions about pCalc properly, but let's start with dice by pCalc because this was your one that is shipping. Um, and you... You know, it was out last Monday on Catalina. Um, and so I have a lot of questions for you about the process of taking an iOS app and putting it on the Mac uh, from the source, from somebody who actually did it, because I think this is I think this is good in, in, in helping us gauge sort of where Catalyst is and and what apps we might see and why we might see some and not others. So my first big question, though, is Apple says you can compile and run uh, an app from iOS in Catalyst with the check of a box. Did that happen? Did that work? So technically, yes. Um, when I first built it and ran it, the window was black aside from the buttons because SceneKit was not working in that particular build of Catalina. And that was something that I had to wait two weeks for that book to be fixed. So that was kind of like, I hit a roadblock pretty quickly. But because the source um it was written for like iOS 12, iOS 13 era. So it was using modern APIs. There wasn't a lot of cruft in it. It was pretty simple. Um, it did. It, you know, it was, it was literally check the checkbox, click run, and it goes. But in a sense, that's not really surprising because Catalyst started out as the iOS simulator which is part of Xcode that when you're developing your app, you know, you can run it in a in a window on the Mac as a way of, well, I don't have to, you know, copy it down onto the phone. It's a much faster way of developing. So they had that technology for basically building your iOS app as an Intel uh, binary and running it on a Mac. And this has sort of productized this into a way of doing that and making a Mac app. And then they've moved on from that because that was kind of like the stage one where we had the Mojave, the former Mojave apps were using this technology. Right. Really. And then they had another uh, year of development to see where it would go after that. And uh, it's not gone as far as I would like, let's say. Um, but it has it has progressed. So, yeah, from from a first stage, you can do this. And I did it with PCALC as well. And PCALC took me a lot longer because there was, you know, older APIs that I was referencing for backward compatibility, say. You know, I, I'd adopted the new P API, but I had the old API reference. So you have to kind of get rid of all that, that stuff to get it to build. But, you know, the, the basics work. And it is kind of, you know, I've been quoted in a number of outlets for being very critical on Catalyst, but it, you know, is miraculous that it actually does do that. Um, so, but that's, that's the f sort of the stage one. All right. And there's a lot more stages. Right. So um, what issues you did you have um, in, in converting it over? Like what, uh, what, what were the things that popped up that, that you weren't anticipating? Well, I mean, the, the 
There were a lot of bugs. There was a, I complained about lack of documentation and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of that stuff, bugs especially, kept going right up to the wire and beyond the wire because there's still the stuff. Uh, SceneKit doesn't run on an on any Mac with an NVIDIA GPU in it uh, through Catalyst. You it throws an error about wrong compiler architecture out to the console, and you get this black window problem. Hmm. And and that shipped in 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 the the GM and it's fixed, I believe, in the ten fifteen one. So you know, the, it felt like this project was coming in pretty hot, much like most of Catalina and all of Apple's products this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, it's fits right in. That's great. Um, so you know, that was like the main thing, and then it came down to like I have an app. It basically works and it works the same as the iPad app. But, you know, is this a, a Mac app? Right. And it's like, not really yet. Um, so what did you have to do to make this? I think I feel like this is a very important thing that that Apple did emphasize at WWDC, which is this this concept that you check the box and then you add, I think they called them finishing touches. And the idea is it it's OK. You've got an iOS app in a box that, you know, in a window that w- runs on the Mac. Um, but it's not really a Mac app at that point. It's an iOS app in a window. So what do you have to do? So you, you did this, you, you designed dice by PCALC, not presumably not really thinking that about Mac design decisions. And then you've got, even though it's a relatively new app and then you sit down with it on your Mac and I imagine you immediately say, Oh no, this like this won't do for a whole list yeah. of things. I mean, so the, the, the real big one that was sort of bothering me was i uh you mentioned before that you can pick all these different dice themes and the number of dice themes grew bigger and bigger so i ended up using you know the little spinning picker ui elements that they use for the date pickers and things like that and i used that so you could just sort of you know flip it and scroll scroll around and you could pick a pick a theme and on Catalyst, on the Mac, they feel terrible. You know, you, you can't even click and drag on them. You have to move over them and use a scroll gesture over it. Um, and it just felt so out of place. And there's a lot of things, like the more iOS native UI you use, I think, the more out of place things feel. And uh, for that, I, I was like about you know, three weeks away from the expected ship date. And I was like, I, I can't ship this. I really don't like it. Uh, so I wrote my own sort of pop-up menu button code, which is not perfect, but it works, you know. And it that, that, that immediately, the fact that you could just click on it and, you know, it works like a menu. Uh, yeah, and it looks pretty good. It's It's not quite right, but I mean, all of these Catalyst apps viewed from a perspective of a traditional Mac app, are not quite right, but it's pretty close. It's way closer than that spinning wheel. Yeah, I mean, it was my it was my what can I do in a couple of weeks uh, version of this. It's, it reminds and, me of what when you did the custom uh, key pop ups in PCalc in the early days of the iPhone, where yes, you I believe you said this is one of the one of the classic blunders, which is rebuilding an entire UI element yourself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you sh- <laughs> you should not do this. This is this is Apple's job. Yeah, and there are when you start building these things, you. Th- find oh these things are just entirely built of edge cases and apple has to deal with all this stuff it's like you know what if you open this thing and it's right at the bottom of the screen uh what if you know there's just 
lots of things. And so it, I wrote what I could, but this is, I mean, this comes on to what we'll talk about later and what I would like to see improved, but you know, this would be Apple's job. Right. And if you look at like the, the best, uh, catalyst app, I think still is, uh, the podcast app and the podcast app has its own like little native Mac controls. Uh, so it has, you know, like the little segmented views and it has pop-ups and it has all these things. I believe Steve Trotton Smith said that they're using private, uh, APIs to do that. Um, and it's not something that's available to the likes of us. So if we want to make an interface, particularly outside the preferences window, which, uh, you can get some of that for free for just the preferences window. But if you want like a, a pop-up in your, in your main UI that looks like a Mac and works like a Mac and has all the feel of a Mac, you know, you have to either write it yourself or not do that. Mm. And there's other things like, uh, iPad apps get scaled down, uh, 77 to 77% of their size pixel wise, uh, which, is not ideal. And some of the Apple apps, like again, the podcast app opts out of this using a private uh, entitlement so that it's, you know, not scaling it. So they have full control over things. And so, yeah, other things I had to do, I scaled down the fonts because when it was on a Mac screen, it was like, oh no, these fonts all look far too big. Uh, You need, you want to customize the menu bar so that it's actually got Mac commands it feels more like a mac app that was the first Mm -hmm. comment you made on the first build of the dice app uh when i sent you the uh you know the just the checkbox version it was like yeah i can tell from the menu bar yeah that's the first thing i do when i open one of these catalyst apps is i look at the menu bar because it's a great reveal because you you remember there were what was it that there there uh, back in the Java days, especially, there'd be these apps that were actually in Java and they would run and they'd have their own menu bar in the window, which is even more horrifying. And yeah, then, and yeah. then they, but they would have a Mac menu bar and it would have essentially nothing in it, but like quit. And so I, I found with Catalyst, it's been very interesting to move that way because there, there are very basic things that go in the menu bar, but because iOS and iPadOS don't have menus per se, um, it really is up to the developers to say, what would I like in a menu bar? Because you have one on the Mac and you probably, sh- probably should use it. It's a good idea. Yeah. And, um, and another thing to sort of related off that is uh, extensive keyboard controls. Mm. And it's like for a Mac app, you expect to be able to drive the app uh without touching a, a mouse or trackpad. Right, right. Although I was just this weekend, I was playing D&D and I used Dice by PCalc. So I guess this is my endorsement. Uh, but I, <laughs> I was using it with the smart keyboard and I was typing in my dice rolls. So it definitely benefited me as adding those keyboard shortcuts helped me on the iPad too. Yeah, I mean, and I think that is one of the things that depending on how this goes in the future, I think is going to benefit iPad apps is that we will end up with these apps which have got hopefully the strengths of both platforms rather than the weaknesses of both mm. platforms, which is, can be the case with this cross-platform stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was things like that. It was keyboard stuff. It was like rethinking gestures because, you know, the two-finger gestures like panning around don't really work through Catalyst. And, you know, there's even tiny stuff, which I doubt anybody will notice, which was like replacing the word tap with click anywhere <laughs> in the UI and the help. And, you know, it, that was just a kind of like, 
I didn't want it, the the sort of stuff to start leaking out at the edges where you read yeah. the you know release notes and it talks about you know tap and tap here. And I stuff. I actually this weekend was finishing up my work on my new version of my book about photos and I, one of the things I did this time was really completely merge together the Mac and iPad and iPhone versions of photos. It's it started out as a MacBook and then it was a MacBook with some iPad and iPhone stuff added on and now it's just about photos on all the platforms and one of the things I I've had to do throughout is when I'm referring to both, I have to say tap or click (laughs) or click on the Mac or tap on iPhone or iPad because it's different. It's not the right word. If you use the right, the the tap everywhere, you're, you're using the wrong word in a Mac context. So it's, it's a little thing, but, but I think it's important to say, you know, hi, Mac user, I see you. (laughs) And you may not be tapping, you're clicking probably. I'm not a hundred percent happy with it yet. That's what I was going to ask is, is how are you feeling today about this thing that you've got in the Mac app store? I mean, it was, it was a, it was a kind of, the point of it was an experiment to see where I could get. And, and, you know, the Dice app, I like the Dice app. It's not like my main revenue stream. So if it's not the best Mac app in the world, it's not going to cause me problems, unlike if it was, say, Peacock. Um, But I wanted it to be as best as I could get it. And I think I got it as best as I could, given, A, the time constraints, because this was done in the background of trying to get Peacock ready for iOS and running into lots of problems there. And, you know, so this this was like, again, it was the the weekends and evening project of, you know, let's see where Catalyst is today. What can I do? And I had a big list of, you know, well, I'd like to do this, but I can't do this because of X, Y, Z. And, and, you know, this thing, it still feels a bit alien around the edges. You know, you you can't resize it down to iPhone window sizes, even though my, my iOS app can cope with that you know because you can put it in split screen and whatever and it would be nice if you could make it just a tiny you know sliver down the side of your screen but no you're you're limited to the minimum of sort of an ipad width Mm. and yeah i like it it's i i've had sort of reasonable feedback to it nobody has you know said this is the worst Mac app I've ever seen. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Know. You've cleared that bar, at least. Yes. So um, uh, now this is obviously, Dice Rolling is not yet your life and your life's work. It's only on the side, maybe in the future, who knows? But um, if we step back from that and and having gone through this Catalyst experience, um, I, I'm, I, I would like your wish list. Like what, having gone through this, is Apple not providing to you that you think should be there for people who are trying to bring their apps over from iPad to Mac? So, I mean, it's technically, it's not impossible that a framework like UIKit could build a Mac app that feels as native as any other Mac app. Because that's exactly what happened with AppKit. You know, people forget that Carbon was like the Mac. That was the Mac feel. And AppKit and Carbon kind of merged together in some ways. But, you know, that AppKit came from the next uh, world and it was adapted and it was made more Mac-like. So, you know, in the end, it's it's all just pixels on the screen. So it's all possible. Um, so what I would really like is the Apple to provide sort of Mac-like controls, you know, like these pop-up menus or checkboxes or anything. I want to build a UI that looks exactly like a Mac without having to write it myself because I feel that this is Apple's job, not mine. And, 
you know, if, if Apple even recognizes this by the podcast app using, you know, private APIs to do these kind of things, um, they clearly know that it's something that a good Mac app should have. And I, again, with the scaling, you know, I'd like to be able to opt out of that and and do everything myself. And that there is a way that uh, when you have an iOS app, uh, there is a thing called the user interface idiom. And that basically says you're running on an, on a phone or you're running on an iPad or maybe you're running on a TV or whatever. And it is just a, a way that your code can say, you know, I'm going to behave differently on this device. And so like, you know, PCalc will, will lay things out slightly differently if you're on an iPad and so on. And they could have, and they didn't add a UI interface idiom Mac, which would let you say, okay, I have this code. I'm now running on a Mac. Let's do things differently. And that might be where they're planning to go because in Catalyst, they announced this sort of two, three year roadmap and, I think iPhone apps is next year and then the year after that is a unified store. And at that point, I assume we're going to have unified binaries that run, you know, the same app, literally same app will run on both platforms. But, you know, we're we're not there yet and it would be nice. I think really what I want from Apple um, is I want some kind of like timeline or like roadmap of where they think this is going to go. Because we'll come to this later, but, you know, is is Catalyst the future? Is Catalyst um, like something for the next few years? How does Apple feel about it? All right. I want to um, move on beyond Dice. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe and talk about what um, your thought process is about your the app that you do have on the Mac as a native Mac app and the app that you also have on iOS, PCalc. Um, but before we do that, I want to take another break and tell you about another sponsor. This episode is also brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and Node locations. They serve customers with the help of 10 data centers around the globe. They're about to add more uh, in Mumbai, India and Toronto, Canada. Um, they'll both have data centers before 2020. Every Linode features native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors, so you're able to serve your customers faster than before. You don't have to stress about overspending. Linode's designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services such as backups and node balancers. I uh, use Linode for my server, and one of the nice things about it is that I have a, a real confidence in how much it's going to cost every month because of those monthly caps. It's very, very nice. Um, Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. I cannot believe how cheap it is to have a server on the internet in the Linode cloud. Plans start at one gig of RAM for $5 a month. And there are also high memory plans starting uh, with 16 gigabytes of RAM. Linode has a special offer as a listener to Upgrade. Dear Upgradians, you can go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code UPGRADE2019 and you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan on the one gig of RAM plan. Do the math. That's four free months and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. Give it a try today. Linode.com slash upgrade. Promo code UPGRADE2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting Upgrade all of Relay FM and my entire server infrastructure too. Just throwing that out there. Okay, James, PCalc proper. You've got the iOS version. You've got the Mac version. Um, presumably, if you 
decided to use Catalyst for your Mac version, that would save you a lot of time because you're currently maintaining a Mac app and an iOS app? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the current Mac app is an interesting one in that it is actually a port of the iOS code. So five years ago, um, you know, the 64-bit uh, writing was on the wall and I wanted to have an app kit version. And a lot of my effort had gone into the iOS version. And it was a case of, uh, I wanted to some, I wanted the core code to be the same. Uh, and I took the iOS app and I ported it over and, you know, the, there's a lot of custom UI in pCalc around where the, the buttons are and things like that. So it wasn't as hard as it sounded. Uh, but then the code started to diverge because like the, the core code is shared. So if I, you know, change the, the logic somewhere on how a button works, that's fine. But the user interface code doesn't. So some features like there's the layout editing, which I added to iOS years ago, and that's not made it to the Mac because I'd basically need to write that whole code again. And if I could use the same uh, code on both platforms, this would mean the Mac would get features quicker. Uh, I would have more time to just spend writing actual features, which is something I have not done, uh, not been able to do a great deal of this year because I've been chasing Apple's uh, various operating system strategies. Uh, And so, yeah, I would have more time to actually devote to the application. Uh, And this would be great. So what's standing in your way of doing that? The iOS UI, uh, as it currently is on the iPad, you know, there's a lot of popovers and tables and navigating down into tables and things like that. And they really don't feel at home on the Mac to me at all. Have you ru- have you run it? Have you run your check the box and run PCALC on your Mac oh, yeah. and gone, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I, I that was the first thing I did. I actually had a Catalyst version of PCALC running in Mojave. Uh, thanks again to Steve, uh, Trump Steve Smith, Trump yeah. Smith um, who showed me the, the dark arts involved in building <laughs> a Catalyst app before it was allowed or before it was even called Catalyst. And I, I went through that process to get a feel early on as to how it would be. Uh, and yeah, no, I did it as soon as as soon as the official way was out. I, I've I've kept it running, so I have this Catalyst app, but it it just doesn't feel right you know everything is within a window and uh supporting multiple windows is something that's also on my roadmap for this but even then it's a sort of hard to put a finger on but it's this sort of intangible this isn't right feeling is there is part of it the idea that if you're a mac user using pcalc and going on about your business and then an update comes out that turns it into this that it would be disappointing that as a mac user you'd be like oh what happened to pcalc well, yeah, and, and I, that's not something I would do until such time right. as uh, it exceeded, you know, the the, the quality, and and that that's the diff, difficult part of knowing, you know, because I would love to do this. There's, there's lots of things I would love to do, but I don't know that my customers would particularly love it. Right. And uh, yeah, and I think the the key is to find this sort of middle ground between the Mac and the iPad user interface you know, that enhances the current iPad app and makes it better, but also is an app that when it's translated to Catalyst and arrives at the other end, that Mac users are not going to look at and go, what is this? I've been sold a pup. Uh, I want my old one back. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance, you know, obviously 
you, you, this is your balancing act and you have to find the right balance between giving users something that's good and also saving yourself a lot of effort and a lot of time by going to a single app instead of two separate code bases. Yeah, I, I think, you know, user experience wins out in this case. And uh, it's, you know, I the thing is, I have a nice functioning Mac app. You know, it's missing a couple of features, but mostly it has feature parity w- with the Mac and all the core stuff goes over. And um, But it, it's using Catalyst like this when you have an existing Mac app. It, it's a sort of, I think it's a decision to be taken very carefully. Mm. Uh, and as soon as, you know, Cat- if Catalyst starts to get the reputation of a bit like when there was the... Uh, the iWork stuff was redone when they when they it got dumbed down, right? Uh, as people would say on, on the Mac, and there was because they were trying to go for more of a, a shared code base and shared stuff between iOS and Mac. And you know, Apple made that decision and then like improved the apps again gradually over time. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people on the internet are tend to be quite vocal about huh. things. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to make that decision when the time is right. So um, having gone through this process, where do you think Catalyst is going? Is this, is this like Steve Trotton Smith would like to say that what we might say, it feels weird and doesn't feel quite Mac-like. Yeah, he, he often will say, actually, well, you know, you'll come to think of it as Mac-like. Like, this is going to be different, and it's going to be more like uh, what we see with Catalyst, and that the Mac is kind of going to be redefined in a way that makes it more similar uh, to Catalyst. Do you feel like, is this the future of Mac apps, or is this some strange digression, uh, you know, a temporary weird thing that happened to the Mac along the way to wherever it's going? This is the uh, 64 million bit question. Um <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know that Apple knows. Um, you know, Swift UI is what they've positioned as the future. And at the moment, it's kind of still the distant future. You know, it's very good. People have used it for watch apps. And I believe that's where Swift UI originated was with the, the watch project. And but I've heard that it's not really ready for sort of a big, you know, Mac app. So it might be that the the thing that makes the weird uh, look and feel that eventually becomes the Mac might be Swift UI, might not be Catalyst. But, you know, is Catalyst the new carbon? You know, is Swift UI five years away, 10 years away? Does Catalyst last 19 years like Carbon did? I think that's unlikely. But, you know, every app that comes over using Catalyst is, to a certain extent, technical debt that Apple needs to deal with in the future. I mean, even their own apps that they're they're writing using it. But, you know, not everybody is ready to jump on board SwiftUI yet. It's not finished by any means. And uh, it's... So we're in this weird position of, you know, if I was starting to write a new Mac app today, you know, what technology do I use? You know, I've if you've got an existing uh, iOS source base, Catalyst is really appealing because it's a way to get started. Um, if you're starting from scratch, do you start with Swift UI and put up with the pain for a couple of years, uh, assuming that this is going to be the future? I mean, if nobody adopts Swift UI and Apple internally 
hasn't really used it for many things yet. Um, you know, at what point, you know, does Apple say, well, Swift UI isn't really using, isn't really taking off, but Catalyst is everywhere. Shall we standardize on Catalyst? So I, I feel that, you know, their, their direction, the, the, the big arrow that they're, they've put down is pointing towards Swift UI. Um, I'm hesitant at this stage to adopt it, uh, but I, I'm typically quite conservative in adopting. Like I'll adopt new APIs and features and stuff, but new sort of things like this, I'm a bit hesitant to jump mm. into. Partially because, you know, people forget that Apple had a track record of turning up to WWDC and saying, this is the future. And then next year saying, well, that future that we outlined for a few years is not going to happen. You know, there, w- there was a whole operating system mm-hmm. that they talked about for a number of years, which didn't happen. Yeah, I, I have the T-shirt. <laughs> I, I have the T-shirt as well. I, um, and I think I, I don't th- I'm not uh, putting this in in the same uh, uh state as uh, uh, the original Mac OS 8, because I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen to it. But it, it's more roadmaps from Apple would be helpful in knowing what they anticipate. Right. Because if Catalyst has like a five-year lifespan, what happens, you know, if people bring all their apps over and then Apple turns around and says, well, you need to rewrite everything uh, in Swift UI now. I, I don't uh, know. I, I find that hard to believe I, it, 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 that it will... It will be deprecated like that. I mean, because it is essentially using the iPad stuff, and I, I don't think that that's going to go away. You never know. Um, I, I am interested to see how the narrative about Catalyst changes over time, because already I feel like we had a lot of scenarios about how people could use Catalyst in, this summer. And among them was, oh, you're an iOS developer who's never been on the Mac before, and you don't know how to make Mac apps. Well, great. Now you don't need to. Um, That seems to be gone. Like, really, what it is is you're an iOS developer, or you've got a big iOS code base, and you want to bring that to the Mac relatively easily. Well, you can, but you're going to need to learn some things about the Mac, because you're going to need to probably write some custom things and um, you know use AppKit for some things in order to make it a really good mac app and that's that's different and i've heard from some developers who had no ios experience who basically said it's fine we're pros we can learn stuff but we don't have it's great that we don't have to you know write it a completely new app we can take our existing stuff and then learn some stuff about AppKit and make a good app that's a little bit of a different story um, but in the long run, I do think it benefits Apple to have uh, iPad and Mac code bases shared because there's more going on. First off, there's more going on on the iPad than the Mac uh, in, in terms of apps, and that's been true for a, a while now. But second, the iPad also ke- kind of needs a little bit of a kick. And so being able to put both of those platforms together and say, see, you can write an app and appeal to these two platforms together, I think that's good for both of them and makes the iPad apps better and and brings yeah. more apps to the Mac. But you know, is that you're right? Is that a five year story? Is that a is that a fifteen year story? I, I and it's probably not the long like the this isn't the next generation app building system, right? Swift UI is supposed to be that. This is sort of just extending iOS to Mac. Yeah, uh, and uh, I mean Apple are using it for their own stuff as well. So you know, uh, maybe part of that is to you know, build apps so that they know that the stuff works, because that was one of the justifications for the Finder being Carbon, was, you know, this this was a, an app to show that Carbon had this great long future, which it kind of did, sort of. Yeah, so 
I think it's like next year will be very interesting to see what happens after another year of development. And if things are pretty much the same as they are, then it's clear where Apple's investing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, I want to talk about Drag Thing. Uh, we're going to have a little wake for Drag Thing and take apart what happened there. But first, I want to uh, read our last sponsor. It's ExpressVPN. Recently, over 100 million people had their personal information stolen in another data breach social security numbers, you know, all that stuff. And maybe you were affected by this. The point is that this stuff is getting more frequent. It's more severe. There's all sorts of different things, password leaks, credit card, and bank numbers. Now I'm going to talk about a VPN. Now, will a VPN be able to help you uh, how big corporations control your, your data? No, it won't. But you can still protect your data in the places where you actually have some power and your internet connection is one of them where you do. Uh, ExpressVPN is an app for your computer, your phone, your tablet. It encrypts and secures your data. It changes your IP address. It can change your geolocation. Um, I don't like to use an open Wi-Fi network without ExpressVPN because that data may be encrypted on the Mac, but the uh, fundamental Wi-Fi uh, connection is not encrypted. And on top of all that, uh, not being tracked in terms of my location is also very important to me. Tap once on the iPad app. That's what I do. And uh, that's it. And it connects. It's fast. Costs less than $7 a month. It was rated the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, and others. So go right now to expressvpn.com slash upgrade to arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support, upgrade, and protect yourself by going to expressvpn.com slash upgrade for three months free with a one-year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for hiding my location from everyone and for supporting Upgrade. Okay, James, you you had a funeral last week. Uh, It it was after a long illness, drag thing (laughs) uh, died. It was 25 um, it was your utility that was kind of like the dock, but before there was a dock, and then after there was a dock also, uh, where you could click on things, and it had like contextual docks and different apps and all sorts of things. Great utility. I uh, I gave it five mice on the Mac user uh, Mac download library back in the day. Um, and that's my that's my first clear memory of knowing you was that I gave your app five out of five because it was so great and i used it up until a couple of years ago i uh, still had it on my mac running all the time so yeah i mean i can't remember how we first knew each other i did some digging and i found an email um from april 95 where you were clearly beta testing drag thing yeah uh and i have no idea how you found me or i found you though that it's yeah i mean i don't know if i i just like would you post a news group or something i don't know i i I probably did a Compsys Mac apps shout yeah. out. Um, but back when you were assistant editor at Mac user, mm-hmm. I clearly... It's my first job. Um, I mean, I was working my first job uh, as well. I was like just uh, out of university, except I was still working at the university. Um, Apparently I found a bug, which is very exciting because as I say in this email from April 4th, 1995, and this is completely accurate to this day, I beta test lots of software and too often I don't ever find a bug. <laughs> this is true it's really it's like thanks for putting me on your beta list i didn't ever see anything but apparently i found something so thank you for having a bug in your software in 1995 but i have no idea what that bug was because i couldn't find any of the previous emails and i don't have these i have emails from 1995 believe it or not but i don't have them from my work address which is where this is from so i don't i don't have that so this app came out in 1995 um you actually ended up working on the dock 
in OS 10 for a little while. Um, and there's a long story there. There is a long story there. You can find it on YouTube. I think you, you've, you've told that story. Um, but, uh, that, that definitely changed the trajectory of drag thing, right? Because now there was a, uh, the concept of a system wide dock came to Mac OS 10. So drag things primary feature, which was to be a dock on your Mac was no longer, um, you know, you were, you, I guess you were Sherlocked, but it, the good news is you Sherlocked yourself because you worked on the dock. Yeah, I also worked on Sherlock, which is there's ironies <laughs> oh everywhere. God, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> but um, the so it was interesting because like in macOS eight five there was the tear off app switcher thing, right? Uh, which you could pull down from the the, the process or app switching menu. And I actually wrote at the time there was drag. Th- I, I was working for Apple at the time, and I had had a. a an item in my contract that I could continue working on drag thing in my free time. You'd never get that kind of deal these days no. if you're an Apple employee. But I, you know, I was sort of fiddling away with drag thing. And I was asked if I would do a version of drag thing, a cut down version for macOS 8.5 to be bundled with 8.5. And so the, there was a drag thing light that shipped around about the same time, which was a cut down version of drag thing. And that was entirely written for macOS 8.5. Uh, and it was going to be the, the tear off app switcher for that. And that never happened. That deal kind of went awry. I think there was a, uh, a, a management chain, uh, change mm. and whoever came in said, well, we're not doing that. Um, so the, the, the app switcher got written, but that was my sort of first taste of it. And then I was asked later on, it was like, I, I knew I'd been working on a variety of things and I really wanted to work on Mac OS 10. And uh, I'd ended up working on networking software, which is extremely not my forte as I'm a user interface person. And I was like, I really want to work on something else. And somebody contacted me and said, you know, we have this thing that we think you might be good for. And it, it was the OS 10 doc. And, you know, I knew then that, you know, that this would kill drag thing. Uh, so I wanted to be the person who killed drag thing and it just took 19, 19 years to years. die. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, uh, so I always knew you as the drag thing developer. That is, that is always how I knew you. It's taken a long time to think of you as the peacock developer. I guess in the future, I'll just think of you as the guy who makes dice apps, but for now, peacock developer, uh, when, when did that changeover happen for you? When did you go from being the drag thing developer to being the peacock developer as your primary thing that you did so when um the iphone came out and i first used it i thought this is something special it was kind of like the first time i ever used a mac you know there's a sort of intangible user interface magic about it and i thought well i need to do something for this so when the sdk came out i thought well you know peacock sort of i haven't really done much with it. it it's kind of uh you know, it's a product, it sells, but it's it's not really our, our main business. So I will make this one test app. This is kind of like the Catalyst mm-hmm. thing. You know, I'll take a small project, I'll make a test app, and I'll see how it goes. First day of the app store, or second day, in fact, because I get the sales results and I see the sales number and I think, oh, there's a problem here. <laughs> the problem is that, that this is going to be your your livelihood now. Yeah. And it was, you know, there were only 400 apps on the store on on the, that first day. So, you know, it had quite a lot of visibility in that 
in that day. So, you know, the first day of sales, this is this is a lesson for anybody is don't take the first day of sales as something that you can then multiply by 365 mm, and that is going to be your income. Because that's not how it works. It's sort of there's tails off and then will hit a sort of steady state. And sometimes you can raise that steady state as you become more well known and things. But usually you get these spikes and you shouldn't it's the area under the graph that matters. It's not the height of that spike. Right. So so that that shift happens at this point and it's like, okay, I guess PCALC and iOS is your primary business. Well, I mean, it was uh the last big release of drag thing, like the last paid release was 12 years ago. And it was the same year that the iPhone launched. And you know, I don't know, you know, which is the chicken and which is the egg in that situation. You know, was I just enticed into the iOS world and then uh, stopped putting my focus into drag thing or had my focus already uh, sort of was it waning because i mean drag thing reached feature completeness sometime in the late 90s right and then it was just a case of polishing it uh, and you know adding silly things to it and whatever but it, it the the basics were there and once you reach that sort of basics that it's not as uh interesting on a day-to-day thing but you know i was still keeping it going and i was doing things and i wanted to keep it running um as long as i could and as long as i could just ended right and we will uh so i mean obviously it was a 32-bit app and we'll get to some of the circumstances around it but 32-bit apps go away entirely in catalina and so uh drag thing won't run on catalina now uh but before we get there i want to i want you to um talk about the the (laughs) story that you told me a while ago about how you had to you had to do a rush update for drag thing and realize that you you could not actually update drag thing anymore and this was what a couple of years ago yeah so um drag thing because it was a 32-bit carbon app apple stopped support for that uh in the xcode that shipped after 10.6 so the 10.6 sdk was the last one that let you you know like link to uh things like quickdraw and quicktime and all these old carbon technologies and but it was possible you could take a modern version of Xcode and you could kind of hack in the 10.6 SDK and still build with it. And that worked for a while. Then at some point, 32-bit support went away entirely for building with Xcode. And what happened is sometime later, uh, Kagi, who were the payment processor that I used uh, for all my years of, of selling drag thing they went under remarkably quickly with no warning and so there were all these apps that you know when you clicked the buy now button would take you to a dead web server and so i was still selling it at this point it wasn't making vast amounts of money but i needed to patch it so i ended up setting up uh development tools running in an emulator and i had some stuff running like on mac os 9 to edit the user interface because i was using uh there was code warrior had its framework power plant and there was an app called constructor which was what you use to create your user interface like interface builder today and that was i was like i need to edit the interface i haven't really edited the interface in about five years or something and okay i'm gonna need to 
I'm going to need to do that. And then I'm going to need to run an older version of the, the OS that I can run an old version of Xcode with the even older SDK hacked into it to build this app. And, you know, it's not like I was unaware that, you know, the writing was on the wall. It had been clear for a very long time because of the number of hoops that I needed to jump through to just keep this thing alive. It's, uh, I, I just, I love the idea of uh, software updates being made in an emulator. That's just, but what can you do? I mean, right? That, that was yeah. it. So you made, so you made at some point in there, was that the last, the final drag thing update? Um, I think there might have been one more after that. I'm not sure that I kept trying to convince myself that, you know, drag thing was still going and every now and again there would be a slightly bigger update um but you know i think i knew in my heart that you know the patient had died quite a long time ago and you know just because it twitches every now and again when you you uh give it an electric shock it's not really alive <laughs> all right that's oh okay that's a now it's a frankenstein that's frightening um would you so obviously it, it was written in classic mac os brought over to os 10 with carbon carbon's going away which means that uh, you know it would need to be rewritten completely basically would you know did you consider that at any point of saying well maybe i should just make a new drag thing and i mean i know you and i have talked about this before what would it be that's uh, because i think you're right one of the fundamental premises of drag thing was made obsolete by the existence of OS ten, which was a long time ago now. So, you know, w- did you think about uh, like how could I keep this going or keep something called drag thing going into the future? Yeah, and and I mean, you know, I'm I'm not ever ruling out doing something again at some point and calling right, it sure. drag thing. Uh, but it was like, yeah, the question is, and we talked about this a number of times. What would it be? And it, you know. Things like LaunchBar and Alfred kind of took the power users who were the people who would use DragThing uh, because a lot of people moved to these kind of keyboard-based launchers. And the Dock and Launchpad to a certain extent and Spotlight took away the sort of beginner entry-level people who would just use a stock Mac. And it's like, what is that middle ground? You know, do you try and go even more power user? Um, and part of the other problem with it is every year Apple locks the OS down slightly more, you know, for legitimate reasons, because there's more code out there that's trying to do bad things. But if you're trying to write a sort of system level utility as DragThing was, it was kind of like a peer to the finder. Um, you have to jump more and more hoops, uh, especially if you want to be in the App Store, which, you know, there's the requirements of um, the uh, uh, sandbox and things like that. Right. And it's, you know, could I write something like drag thing today? And I know there are people who are working on, uh, you know, replacements. Uh, but again, with the, you know, the writing was on the wall for 32-bit apps. Apple has been kind of saying, don't make these kind of things for years now. And, you know, I see people who are working on, on things, you know, like Peter Lewis has got a keyboard maestro and, you know, it, it's going and it's, it's a great product. But he does keep running into these things where, you know, all now, whenever you try and send like an Apple event to this process, you're going to get some dialogues that pop up yeah. saying, are you sure you want to do this? And, 
and all that stuff it just creates more and more sort of friction for doing a product like this uh and so you know the my heart really wasn't in it yeah no i think that i think that makes sense and and it would be um a complete rewrite that's that's the other thing is it's not you deciding not to continue maintaining it it's literally it's been maintained in maintenance mode for a long time and now there's no way to continue maintaining it because the entire framework on which it's built has been tossed which is funny in a way this is the quiet death of classic mac os right because carbon was the bridge from classic mac os to os 10 and carbon is now put to sleep like that's the end of carbon catalina doesn't have carbon in it anymore it's it's finally over it's funny that apple maintained like we're talking about cl- classic mac os 19 years later <laughs> having yeah. that bridge stuff finally go away it took a long time this is also the quiet death of the newton because some of the newton code was still <laughs> lurking in the system and that's gone away in catalina as well so this is really a kind of clearing the decks and a necessary one i would say but yeah. yeah, it's when you've got like, you know, you've got an app that you've worked on, on and off for 24, 25 years. The prospect of like, well, clean slate, start again. That's quite a hurdle to to right. uh, get over. And, you know, I figured it would probably take me a year to get to the, the state where I would have something that I was happy with. But even then, it probably wouldn't have all the functionality if that was even possible. But that's the key thing is that's a year that I couldn't spend working on PCALC. And, you know, especially with iOS, you have to keep up with this stuff. If you let your apps get behind, you know, things stop working. iOS breaks things a lot more than than the Mac does in mm. terms of compatibility. So, you know, every year there's, there's you've got a big laundry list of, of things you need to do. So, so you know, yep. PCALC is, is my revenue stream. Right. So, could could I take a year off from doing that to do something else? Which maybe I mean I know how many people use DragThing because I I can see the software update. You know how many how many times a, a week does the software update uh, mechanism get pinged by the copy forlornly looking for that new version of DragThing <laughs> never to come. So people are using it, but but it- P- people are using it. But the thing is, the people who are still using it are the people who have their entire lives in it. Right. You know, the people who are using it as a sort of, you know, database of everything, you know, it's not, they've got all these like clippings in it. They've got all their URLs, you know, they're organizing their, their work through it, you know, and I, I've had people, I had somebody the other day who emailed me, who's one of these people who, who basically said, yeah, I've just upgraded to Catalina. Um, how do I upgrade drag thing to make it run? And I'm like, Oh, "Oh, I'm really sorry to tell you that this is not going to happen. And, you know, I, I've had, like, I stopped selling drag thing a year ago because, you know, the writing was really on the wall there because Apple had said at WWDC, you know, this is it, um, that, this is going to be the last OS that is going to run 32-bit uh-huh. apps. And so I stopped selling it because I didn't want people to be buying it last week so if that, to find if, out. If that person was running Mojave or actually running High Sierra, they would have gotten alerts saying, I guess the, yeah. the alerts probably said P-calc, or a, a drag thing is old and you should contact the developer. And I'm sure that they thought, well, I'm sure the developer's on it and then continue to use it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they would get those alerts every, I think it's every 30 days or something yeah. like that. And I had like the drag thing website for the last year 
um, has had the the sort of the black background and the 1995 to 2019. Yeah. You know, I was going to do the whole Steve Jobs lowering, <laughs> you know, raising the coffin, putting carbon yeah. in it picture, but uh, I don't know that many people would get the reference and Steve Jobs and coffins, it didn't feel quite yeah. right at this point. But anyway, it, it was like, uh, t- to quote, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, you know, the plans were on display. Um, people shouldn't have been surprised, but, you know, of people were surprised and because, you know, stuff works and we haven't had these kind of extinction level event operating system releases for a while now. Did you have, how many, how many people did you get uh, who, who, who upgraded to Catalina and asked why their, their, uh, their drag thing or their P-Calc weren't working anymore uh i had you know a good sort of half dozen people i I had lots of people i mean there was more than that who have emailed me in in the previous months but you know post catalina who are like now what do i do and And pcalc their updates just get an update to pcalc it's fine Drag yeah, things. I mean, the, the, mm. uh, PCALC, uh, PCALC 3.9 was 32-bit, and there was people who never upgraded. But, you know, there's been a 64-bit version of that for five, six years. And right. clearly, I'm not very good at uh, advertising the fact that I've got new versions. So um, I, I know we should at least address this because it, people on Twitter already asked this question, which is uh, a bunch of people said, uh, well, why don't you just make it open source so that uh, somebody else could pick it up or it could be put in a museum or, or uh, something like that? Um, and the the truth is, it it people can't pick it up. If you could just pick it up and update it, you're, what, what you're not doing is saying I've decided not to update PCALC anymore because I have other things to do. What you're saying is I can't. The code base can't go on, and so open sourcing it would do nothing because except expose your code to the world that you probably don't want people to see your private source code um, because it can't run. It literally can't run, and a, only a rewrite would make it work and so there's no point yeah i mean there's no value to that code to anyone um the only you know it has a sentimental value to me but you know it's not going to help anyone build a new utility and the old versions are out there you can run it in emulation or run it on an old computer and it'll run fine you just you know but you don't need the source code to do that yeah i mean i think that there's there's a lot of uh uh, value in revisiting these old systems. I've, I've got, ironically, one of the emulators I use is 32-bit and that's going to go away. Mm. So I'm going to need to run that emulator in an emulator <laughs> in order to get uh, my Mac OS 9 emulation running. But, uh, you know, th- there's a value in going back and looking at this stuff because, you know, the, like when we started doing this stuff, you know, in the, the early 90s, there's history there and i think it's important history and you know people who weren't necessarily around at the time you know uh uh stephen hackett being one of them who who have these kind of interests in the historical side you know it's it's good to preserve this stuff and the sites that do the whole you know abandon where you can download these old versions of things and run them in an emulator and see how things were i think that's great uh, but those, as you say, those old versions are always going to be around. I'm going to have them, you know, available to download on my site. I downloaded a copy of Drag Thing like two days ago to run it and to take some screenshots in an emulator uh, for part of my uh, ob- obituary piece. Um, but you don't get to see my source code. You know, that's right. mine. And it 
people got kind of indignant when I was saying, no, I'm not going to open source it. And these are the, you know, the five reasons why. And they're like, you know, but, you know, think of the value to the community. And I'm thinking, what value to the community? What community? You know, you might, also, what community? <laughs> what value and what community? To- you know, you're going to look at this for 10 minutes or something. And for that, I have exposed some pretty dodgy code that I wrote when I was, you know, a, a was I a teenager? I possibly was a teenager mm-hmm. at the point. You know, it, it's, you know, none of this stuff is, was intended for public consumption. And, uh, you know, I think there are things that have been open sourced, you know, like Doom and, and these sort of old video games and things where there is a, a, a sort of, there's a public interest in seeing how these things worked, but there isn't for drag thing. And uh, kind of the you know, tending towards entitled feelings I was getting from some people rubbed me absolutely the wrong way. And I I joked about, you know, how Terry Pratchett, when he died as part of his, uh, uh, in his will or whatever, Mm. he, he said that he wanted all his unfinished work on a hard drive and then steamrolled and destroyed so that nobody could pick up his half finished stories and finish them and all this. It was like, that's it he's gone. And I did think of the, you know, the, here is the one copy of the drag thing source code in existence. I have Mm -hmm. deleted all other copies and now I shall um, drive over it in my steamroller. Well, I look forward to a low resolution image of the drag thing source code being in the PCALC about box and being able to drive a virtual steamroller (laughs) over it as part of level three. It could happen. (laughs) All right, let's uh, move on and talk about, uh, we'll answer some questions. It's time for Ask Upgrade. I've got to I've got to shoot off my own lasers here. Ask Upgrade. It's here. Uh, James, you jump on in here. Uh, Costas wrote in and said, what will it take in terms of features and design for Apple to move beyond the Bionic name for their chips? We've been on Bionic for a little while now. What do you think? I, I, I think it's purely when Apple's marketing department decides that the, the name isn't cool anymore. I think it's literally nothing to do with actual features. Um, it's just, you know, does Bionic still sound cool? Yep. Let's use that. I don't know how a TV show from the seventies, uh, spawned something that sounds cool in 2019, but uh, this is where we are. I think, yeah, I think there, there there will be a feature in the chip that they want to highlight because the, the fusion and Bionic was them sort of marketing their multi, uh, multi core and the performance cores and the, and the energy cores and all of those things like it was a way to kind of express in terms of a cool fun word what they were doing and if they have a new thing they want to express in a different way and with a cool word they will do it but it is yeah it's a marketing term i think that's all that, all that it is uh david wants to know does no one using mac os catalina have an old steam library or do all the old games magically work i don't think they magically work i think there are a lot of 32-bit games but i gotta be honest I, if I'm using Steam, I'm mostly booted into Windows on my iMac using Bootcamp and not actually playing them on, uh, on the Mac on Steam. Yeah, I mean, I use uh, Bootcamp for the occasional PC-only title. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 was one that I played recently. But I, I don't like sitting in the office to play games. So I tend to use like a PlayStation 4, Xbox, Switch, those kind of things sure. um, to play games because I can sit in the living room and it's slightly more social. Um, but, you know, all the Mac Steam games in my library, as it turned out, were 32-bit. And people will say, oh, you know, just 
recompile them, you know, check that checkbox. And it's like, A, that's not how these things work. <laughs> and B, who's going to pay the Mac porting houses who do did that original work? You know, even if it is just simple, somebody needs to sort of sign a contract, get these people back or, or do it in-house or whatever. And a lot of this stuff is, yeah, it, it's part of the 32-bit apocalypse that the, those games are never going to come back. But you know, they will run in bootcamp and probably the older games will run quite happily in something like VMware Fusion or whatever. Right. Uh, get used to emulation if you want to want your nostalgia. Yeah. And the good news is there there's that weird period in the middle in emulation where the emulation makes everything too slow. But the good news is if you wait a few years, then your emulator, the device that you're running the emulator on is so powerful that it can emulate the old thing as fast as it ran natively, if not faster. You just have to get get through that middle part first. I ran into this problem when I was doing a a talk about Easter eggs uh, earlier in the year, and I wanted uh, footage of the uh, flight simulator Easter egg that was in Excel. And the... It was written for a particular speed of CPU and it ran so fast under emulation that, you know, you just sort of barely touch the control and the thing would fly to the other side of the map uh, (laughs) because it was running like 10 or 100 times faster than it was supposed to. My Apple II emulator is amazing. It, It actually has a menu item that is that, which is, do you want me to constrain this to the speed at which the Apple II ran? Because if you don't do that, the cursor blinks very fast and you but can play a game of computer baseball in seconds <laughs> it's sometimes useful if you've got like a commodore 64 emulator and you're loading something off a virtual tape uh-huh. and it's like uh i'd just like to accelerate this so i don't have to wait the 20 minutes i waited as a child exactly. for this game to load exactly uh, nick wants to know what apps do you have in your ipad today view and which of those are pinned because now we can run little widgets on the side of our uh of our home um, screen. Well, my answer here is probably extremely obvious in that it is Pika oh. because <laughs> I mean this Come is it's, yeah it's product placement, but that is literally what I've got. All right, I've got Carrot Weather, Fantastical, and Shortcuts. But um, during the baseball season, I also have MLB at bat. But it's uh, not the baseball season for my team anymore, so I don't. Uh, Michael would like to know, what are your future plans for Dice by Pcalc? Since it came out, lots of people have reached out to me with role-playing systems that aren't just your standard D&D 5th edition saying, oh, it'd be great if you could do XYZ, something that I've never heard of. And it's like, okay, I write that down in a file. And I have this file which has been growing at an exponential rate of all these different possible things I could do with dice. Um, I think in the short term, the main thing that I'm going to do is... John Gruber complained about my use of Arial for the uh, digits on the dice. He said that I was I trying to kill him, I think was the <laughs> phrase. And uh, I am going I'm planning to replace the font uh, purely for him uh, with probably the San Francisco rounded font. Oh, wow. Nice. Very nice. There's also that uh, an Easter egg for the Daring Fireball dice, maybe? Yes. I, I, to have a go at him, I actually, uh, it, this was suggested by Alien Sims uh, that I should make some Daring Fireball dice. So I did actually make some Vadana font and with the Daring Fireball logo on mm-hmm. one of them. And I, because I'm me, I actually coded it up and made it a real thing. And I sent a screenshot uh, to John and he complained about my Ver- not 100% quite right fonts yeah, again. Yeah, and and Verdana, like, you use Verdana, which should not be used uh, as a uh, 
in that in that method in that size which very john that was very john it was my idea to put the star on the six though i'll say that yes sorry i i should give a but but, <laughs> oh boy. but i said to, i have enough blame for dice by P, by peacock already actually but i enough the thing blame. was i had to uh ship a very quick update to that because scene kit changed or has is about to change uh in the betas that just shipped such that all the dice became invisible oh no so i had to do a had to do a very quick change so i rushed out a change and then i thought Oh no, did I leave in the John Gruber D6 dice? And I had forgotten whether I had commented that code back out again. Uh, thankfully, I hadn't. But John said, Oh, why did you do that? And I said, Because I did not seek permission from mm. the, you know, the, the, the owner of this. And he said, mm, It's better to ask uh, forgiveness than permission, which I think is him saying that I should put yeah. that thing back in as an Easter egg. So I'll do that. I'll keep, I'll keep my eyes open. Charles wants to know, as the ultimate podcast designated hitter, does James support the designated hitter rule? This is a, a sport question. Do you have an answer? So I think from context that this is baseball. Correct. I'm assuming that this is somebody who fills in for people in some roles, yes. given that I am the whenever Lex is away doing whatever Lex does, I am on the rebound and I am yes. doing the same role here. Yes. It is. In baseball, um, in in the American League, um, pitchers who are not very good at hitting baseballs are replaced in the lineup by a designated hitter who doesn't play in the field, but hits instead of the pitcher. Uh, so I, everything I know about baseball, I have reverse engineered from American metaphors about sexual experience. So <laughs> yeah. uh, oh. I'm glad that I picked up All right. enough to answer that. I was one. worried that you were going to strike out there, but you hit a home run. Good job. Uh, and I think that we are at the end of this episode of Upgrade. James, thank you so much for being on and guest hosting for Mike. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I have gone from... Uh, guest to guest host so in another 16 months it follows that i'm probably going to be running relay fm i'm sure they'll come to you for the post uh when they put up the black page that says relay fm you know died <laughs> on this <laughs> date and they'll have you do that and turn away all requests uh, relay, for the source FM code. Will, relay fm will live forever yeah that's true it's never going to happen but you know who knows uh thank you uh again to james thank you to all of you listeners out there if you want oh this is a thing mike always says if you want to send in your hashtag ask upgrade questions just tweet at us with the hashtag ask upgrade and uh, it all gets collected in a spreadsheet it's great and you can also do that with hashtag snell talk um thank you to our sponsors time page linode and expressvpn and of course we'll be back next week when mike will return from his lovely assignment wherever he is sunning himself now but until then say goodbye james thompson uh, goodbye james thompson choo, 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 choo.